Chapter Five of One of My Sons by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five, Hope. This was the proper moment for me to leave, or rather, it would have been had it not been for the communication in my pocket which remained to be delivered. To go without fulfilling my duty in this regard, or at least without stating to the coroner that I held in charge a paper of so much importance, seemed an improper, if not criminal, proceeding, while to speak, and thus give up to public perusal an enclosure upon the right delivery of which the dying man laid such stress, struck me as an equal breach of trust, only to be justified by my total inability to carry out the wish of the deceased, as expressed to me in his last intelligible appeal that this inability was an assured fact i was not yet convinced an idea had come to me in the last few minutes which if properly acted upon might open a way for me out of this dilemma but before making use of it i felt it necessary to know more of this family and the ties which bound them to gain this knowledge was therefore of not only great but immediate importance and where could I hope to gain it so soon or so well as here? I consequently lingered, and the young medical friend of George, having for some reason shown the same disregard as myself to the open hint thrown out by the coroner, we drew together near the front door, and fell immediately into conversation. As he seemed on fire to speak, I left it for him to make the opening remark. "'Fine girl!' he exclaimed very fond of her uncle, used to help him with his correspondence. I hate to see women faint. Though I have been in practice now two years, I have never got used to it. Anxious as I was to understand the very relationship he hinted at, it was so obnoxious to me to discuss Miss Meredith with this man, whom I had at first seen in a condition little calculated to prejudice me in his favour, that somewhat inconsistently, I own, I turned the conversation upon Mr. Gillespie. Mr. Gillespie was then a very busy man, I observed. I judged so from the look of his den or study. Overwork often drives men to suicide. The glance this called out from the now thoroughly sobered young doctor was a sharp one. Yes, he acquiesced, but it was an acquiescence which, from the tone in which it was uttered, had a most suspicious ring. My position had now become an embarrassing one. I looked around for the coroner, and saw him talking earnestly with the old and enfeebled butler, who seemed ready to sink with distress. At the same instant, the rattling of two keys could be heard in their several locks. The dining-room was being closed against intrusion, and it was to the coroner the keys were brought. Miss Meredith, who had been carried into an adjoining room, was slowly recovering. This was evident from the countenance and attitude of Alfred Gillespie, who stood half in and half out of the room, with his eyes fixed upon her face. This left the hall clear, and as my companion chose to preserve silence, I presently could hear the story the old butler was endeavouring to relate. I was waiting on the table as usual, sir, and it was my hand which uncorked the bottle and set it down before Mr. Gillespie. The young gentlemen had nothing to do with that bottle. They did not even touch it, for none of them seemed inclined to drink. Mr. George said he had a headache, and Mr. Layton, well, he makes a point of not touching port, while Mr. Alfred gave no excuse simply waved it away when I passed it, so that the old gentleman drank alone, 
he didn't seem to feel quite happy sir and that was why miss meredith got so excited she never could bear to see her uncle displeased with her cousins and where is that bottle of port and the glass out of which mr gillespie drank at the table oh sir you must excuse me sir but-but i drank what was left in that bottle i often do when there is only a little left master didn't mind he often said if he was in the mood to remember me you may finish that hewson and though he did not say it to-night i made so bold as to remember the times he had you see i have lived for twenty years in the family i was a young man when mr gillespie took me into his service first and we have become used to each other's ways as for the glass that was washed sir long ago he was well enough up to nine o'clock you see sir or until after he had taken the sherry yes sir which you also brought him no sir i took it out of the buffet sir but it was mr leighton who carried it into the den he rang for me from the dining-room and when i came up he asked for his father's bottle of sherry and i gave it to him then i went downstairs again and that bottle has not been found i have not seen it sir perhaps someone else has it was not a full one he had had a glass or two out of it before you have not said where the glass came from from which mr gillespie drank the sherry from the buffet also we always keep a supply in one of the lower cupboards sir did you take it out i think so sir did you take the first one you came to and hand it directly to mr leighton i believe so was the room light or dark could you see plainly where to lay your hand or did you have to feel about for a glass i don't remember it as being any too light there was only one gas jet turned on and the room is a big one but i saw the glass plainly enough i know just where to find them you see sir very good then you probably noticed whether the one you took out was clean they are always clean i wear my spectacles when i wash them the old butler seemed quite indignant yes yes then you have to wear spectacles when i wipe the glasses yes sir the coroner pushed the matter no further i think he feared it would seem like an attempt to fix the guilt on leighton besides he had no time to do so for at this moment miss meredith appeared on the threshold of the room into which she had been carried and pausing there stood looking up and down the hall with an ardent and disquieted gaze which alfred who had started aside at her approach tried in vain to draw upon himself claire where is claire she asked i want to put her to bed here she is answered leighton coming from the drawing-room with the child fast asleep on his shoulder take her hope and be careful not to wake her better lay her down as she is than have her frightened again hope held out her arms i was startled at her aspect miss meredith is not able as yet to carry the child upstairs spoke up the doctor but the child was already nestled against her breast i can carry her she assured him drawing her head back as the father stooped to kiss the child are you sure asked alfred quite her arms had closed spasmodically over the child let me go with you he prayed but catching the coroner's eye he quickly added that is if you feel the need of any assistance apparently she did not 
for next minute I saw her faltering figure proceeding up alone, while the scowl, which had begun to form on George's forehead, had smoothed out, and only Alfred showed discomfiture. The next minute the coroner had concentrated the attention of us all by saying gravely to the three young men before him, You, as sons of Mr. Gillespie, will surely see the justice of my making an immediate attempt to find out how and when your father took the poison which to all appearance has ended his invaluable life then as no one replied he added quietly a bottle is missing the bottle of sherry from which he drank a glass since supper will you grant me leave to search the house till i find it so little time has passed it must assuredly be somewhere within reach i can tell you where it is rejoined one of the brothers i wanted a drink I had friends upstairs, and I came down and carried off the first bottle I saw. You will find it in my room above. We all drank our share, so there can have been no harm in it. It was George who spoke, and I now saw why his lips had moved when this bottle was first mentioned. The coroner showed relief, yet made a movement singularly like a signal towards the rear hall, which I had supposed vacant since the servants had been sent out of it. That he was speaking in the meantime did not detract from the suggestiveness of the gesture. "'You and your friends drank of it?' he repeated. "'Very good. That settles one doubt.' And he waited, or appeared to wait for some event connected, as I felt sure with the step we all could now hear moving in that hall. Suddenly these steps grew louder, and a young man, evidently as much of a stranger to the occupants of the house as to myself, approached from the servant's staircase with a bottle in his hand. Quietly the coroner took it. Quietly he held it up before the last speaker, without attempting to explain or to apologize in any way for the presence of the man of whom he had just made such dramatic use. "'Is this the bottle you mean?' That young gentleman nodded. The coroner held the bottle up to the light. Only a few drops remained in it these he both smelled and tasted you are right said he the contents of this bottle seem pure and he handed it back to the man who immediately carried it out of sight leighton looked as if he would like to demand who this fellow was but he did not indeed it seemed hardly necessary his confident manner his alert eye which took us all in at a glance satisfied us that the event we had all dreaded had transpired and that a detective had entered the house noticing but not heeding the effect which this unwelcome intruder had produced upon the proud trio he held under his eye dr frisbee proceeded with the questions naturally called forth by the acknowledgment made by george you were on this floor then previous to your father's death possibly previous to his taking the draft which has so unfortunately ended his life? I was on this floor an hour or so ago. Yes, sir. Did you see your father or anyone else at that time? No. To tell you the truth, I was a little ashamed of my errand. It was early in the evening for the social glass, so I just took the bottle off the buffet and went back. And the glasses? Oh, I always have enough of them in my room. The coroner's hand went in characteristic action to his chin. Evidently he found his position difficult. No poison in this bottle, he declared. None in the one-year-old butler drained, and so far as we are able to judge, none in the phial of chloral found standing on the study mantelpiece. 
yet your father died from taking prussic acid cannot one of you assist me in saying how this came about it will save us unnecessary trouble and the house some scandal it was an appeal which the sons of mr gillespie could little afford to ignore yet while each and all of them paled under the searching gaze which accompanied it none of them spoke till the silence becoming unendurable leighton made an extraordinary effort and remarked my father was a proud man if he chose i say if he chose to end his troubles in this unfortunate way he would plan to leave behind him no sign of an act calculated to bring such opprobrium upon his household he would have acted under the hope that his death would be taken as the result of his late sickness that is doubtless why you fail to find the phial from which the poison was poured hm yes i see your father had troubles then the answer was unexpected my father had three sons none of whom gave him unalloyed comfort is not this true george is not this true alfred startled by the sudden appeal which coming as it did from a man of great personal pride produced an effect thrilling to the spectators as well as to the men addressed the brothers flushed deeply but ventured upon no protest you and your father have always been on good enough terms growled george with an attempt at fairness which gained point from the dogged air with which it was given this brought a shadow over the face which a moment before had shone with something like lofty feeling i cannot forget that we quarrelled an hour before he died murmured leighton moving off with an air of great depression meantime i had taken a resolution advancing from the remote end of the hall where i had been standing with their young medical friend i spoke up firmly calmly but with decision gentlemen i have been waiting to see what my duty was i have reason to think notwithstanding my position as a stranger among you that the clue to your father's strange act is to be found in my hands will you allow me before explaining myself further to request your answer to a single question the surprise which this evoked was shared by the coroner who had probably thought he had exhausted my testimony at our first interview it is a question which will strike you as strange and out of place at a time so serious but i pray you to show your confidence in me by giving me a straightforward reply was mr gillespie a man of dramatic instincts had he any special powers of mimicry or if i may speak plainly had he what you might call marked facial expression in the astonishment this called out i saw no dissent father was a man of talent alfred grudgingly allowed i have often heard claire laugh at his stories which she said were like little plays but this is a peculiar if not inappropriate question to put to us at a time of such distress mr Uthwaite. so i forewarned you i rejoined turning to the coroner dr frisby i must throw myself upon your clemency when i entered this house in response to an appeal from mr gillespie's grandchild i found that gentleman laboring under great mental as well as physical distress he was anxious more than anxious to have some special wish carried out and being tongue-tied found great difficulty in indicating what this was but after many efforts he made me understand that i was to take from him a paper which he held in his clenched hand and when i had done so that i was to enclose it folded as it was in one of the envelopes laying on the table before us 
not seeing any reason then for non-compliance with his wishes i accomplished this under his eye and then asked him for the name and address of the person for whom this communication was intended but by this time his faculties had failed to such an extent he could not pronounce the name he could only ejaculate to no one else only to to alas he could not finish the sentence but gentlemen while waiting here i have been enabled to complete in my own mind this final attempt at speech on the part of your father anxious to make no mistake for the impression made by his dying adjuration not to deliver this letter into the wrong hands was no ordinary one i have not allowed myself to be moved by any hurried or inconsiderate impulse to part with this communication even to those whose claims upon it might be considered paramount to those of a mere stranger like myself but since seeing miss meredith above all since hearing you address her by her name of hope i cannot help feeling justified in believing that this final communication from mr gillespie's hand was meant for her for when in my perplexity i pressed him to give me some sign by which i could make out whether it was intended for his doctor his lawyer or his household he roused and his face showed an elevated look which i now feel compelled to regard as a dramatic attempt to express in action the name he could no longer utter gentlemen i have described his action what name among those you are accustomed to speak best fits it hope was the simultaneous reply so i have presumed to think and turning to dr frisbee i added i have been told that this young lady was in her uncle's confidence will you allow me to deliver this envelope to miss meredith in accordance with the injunction i firmly believe myself to have received from mr gillespie there was a silence during which no movement was made then the coroner replied yes if it is done in my presence i turned again to the young gentleman commiserate my position and send for miss meredith i prayed i feel bound to place this in her hands myself if i make a mistake in thus interpreting the look given me by your father it will at least be made under your eye and from unquestionable motives with my limited knowledge of the family i know of no one who has a better claim to this communication than she do you none of them attempted a reply dr bennett had already gone up for miss meredith End of chapter five